to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. Um, So I wanted to start off this morning um, by impressing you guys with my Spanish skills. Um, So... Just let me know if any of this is over your head, and I will translate it for you. Okay, here we go. Hola. Como estas? Bienvenidos. Me llamo Megan. You all got it? Well, that's all the Spanish I know, so good work. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I feel very disappointed in myself that as a Tucsonan, I do not actually know Spanish. I've lived in the American Southwest my entire life. I go to Mexico at least once a year, generally more. I have friends in Sonora, much of Tucson is bilingual, and I love languages. I should know Spanish, but I do not know Spanish. Now, multiple times over the past decade or so, I have tried to rectify this sad situation. Ryan and I will look at each other and we will say, we should really learn Spanish. So we come up with a plan on how to learn Spanish. First plan, take a Spanish class. Pretty solid, um, but apparently when you um, take a class, people teach you something and they want to get paid for it, and not sure that I'm up for that kind of commitment. Um, So we nix the class plan, and we move on to plan two. Watch all of our TV shows in Spanish. I like TV. Technology is amazing. On Netflix, you can just like change what language you want everything in. So we changed everything to Spanish. And I watched the third Harry Potter movie like five times in Spanish. And I retained that a wizard is called El Mago in Spanish. Um, and that Expecto Patronum in Spanish is Expecto Patronum. You know, <laughs> it was super helpful. <laughs> um, But then I realized that I love Harry Potter and I basically have those movies memorized. So listening to them in Spanish was not that difficult. But when I tried to listen to anything else in Spanish, I had no idea what was going on. And I wanted to know what was going on, so I changed it back to English. Uh, Nix that plan. Okay, so plan three, download Duolingo. If you guys have never heard of Duolingo, it is this amazing app on your phone It's free, and it will teach you any language like under the sun that you want to know. You can choose how much time that you want to commit to each day, and it will teach you Spanish. Perfect plan. Ryan and I, we both download Duolingo. We say we want to learn Spanish. And then because it's nice, it gives you this little test to see where you're at so that they can start you at the appropriate level. And um, I don't mean to brag, but I've never formally studied Spanish. Ryan did. He took Spanish all through high school, but guess what we scored on the test? The exact same thing. (laughs) What, what? (laughs) I was pretty proud of myself. Um, But don't worry, my husband comes out on top in this story. Because I have to say, Duolingo is a little boring. Um, A lot of it is just practice, like the same thing over and over. They actually want me to remember that Migato is my cat. And then you would finally get to something new, like this new little piece of grammar, and be like, yes, the past tense. And then you'd have to stay in the past tense for the next five months. 
Um, I'm not a completionist. Fictional trophies and achievements mean nothing to me, and I've never been afraid of losing my streak. So, needless to say, I only ever made it like six days before giving up. But I want you to guess how long Ryan's streak is. What do you guys think? How many days? Zero days. That is not much faith in Ryan. <laughs> do you see this, Ryan? Mike here. <laughs> A thousand days? Well, you guys are close. I thought this would never be more impressive, but then you throw out a thousand. 785 days. Isn't that awesome? That is how many days Ryan has spent on Duolingo. Thank you. That deserves a round of applause. <laughs> um, he's very impressive. And initially, like he does it at night while we're laying in bed. And I would listen to him do his Duolingo, and it was so easy. I knew everything. Of course, la quesadilla está muy caliente means the quesadilla is very hot. Um, this is dumb, but imperceptibly, so gradually over time that you could barely notice, it shifted, and he's grown. And now when I listen to that deep, sonorous, Spanish-speaking Duolingo man, I cannot understand a word he is saying. But Ryan can, and he talks back to it in Spanish. And it trills ding because he's right every single time. And when Ryan was in Honduras a couple months ago, his translator gave up. And he was like, I don't need to translate for you because you already know what everyone's saying. And of course, he said this in Spanish because Ryan understands Spanish. It is incredible to me that just sticking with something for just 15 minutes a day has resulted in so much growth and so much change and means that Ryan can now speak a language that he couldn't two years ago. Ryan is dedicated and impressive, but perhaps some of you feel a little bit more like me and you can't seem to find that streak. It's not hard, it's not even time consuming. It's only 15 minutes, which you probably spend sitting on the toilet every day. But we meet this distaste for plodding faithfulness, for small, seemingly inconsequential steps, for the monotony and slowness of practice. Maybe for you, it hasn't been your Duolingo streak, um, but in something like working out. We want to be healthy, we want to be athletic, but it doesn't seem like doing that yoga video today is really going to make a difference. Or maybe for you, it's your finances. We want to buy a house, we want to save for college, we want to go on this big vacation, we want to be generous. But does a dollar here or a dollar there really matter? How long do I have to stick to a budget? My bank account just grows so slowly. Or maybe you found it in making friends. We want these deep, vibrant relationships. But do I really have to put in the time of small talk? Those like countless awkward conversations, the slow getting to know you? This one conversation doesn't seem life-changing. Can this really be the route to a best friend? Or maybe you found it in your relationship with God. Like we want to experience this deep, abundant life that Jesus says is possible. We want to be deeply in love with God. We want to be spiritually mature. But that five-minute daily office doesn't seem super spiritual. My Bible plan is in numbers. Do I have to keep reading it? <laughs> I decided that I will wait and pray and spend time with God when I have this super special, extra-free half day, you know, and that's the time that I'll spend with God. Because two minutes daily prayer just doesn't seem Jesus-y enough. We shy away from these small, faithful, plodding steps. 
But what will we be missing out on at the end of our life if we never start the journey now? What language could you be speaking right now if you had just started that Duolingo and stuck with it? What joys and ease and gifts will we never experience without putting in the time of the seemingly inconsequential? On our summer series, we will discover the way of the small, faithful, plodding steps. We will discover what can be found at the end of a long obedience in the same direction. All right, so let's get oriented. This summer, we are traveling through a unique set of the Psalms um, called the Songs of the Ascents. So there are 15 of them in a row. And if you open up your Bibles, um, either in the digital form or your actual Bible, if you brought it, see Jacob. <laughs> Um, we're starting with Psalm 120. So it's Psalm 120 all the way through Psalm 134. And if you're looking at your Bible, you might notice that all of these have the same subtitle underneath it. In Hebrew, it's the phrase Shir Hama'alat, which means Song of the Ascents. Um, so question, does anyone have the NLT? Yes. What is the subtitle in the NLT? Uh, it says a song for pilgrims ascending to Exactly. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. NLT writers are really helpful here. They help us understand what does song of ascents mean. So three times a year, God's people would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the three major feasts that God commands in the Old Testament. So first is Passover in the spring, which we just celebrated. There's Pentecost, or the festival of weeks in the summer. And then there's tabernacles or shelters in the fall. So three times a year, all of God's people would get up and they would walk the long, dusty road all the way to Jerusalem. And since they didn't have radios, the traveling pilgrims would sing these songs. And one of the cool things about these songs of the sense is that they teach us how to be pilgrims. Now, being a pilgrim is important because we often prefer to be tourists in our religious journey. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson says that we can identify religious tourism when religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. So tourists simply visit, and they only visit the good stuff. When I go on vacation to Thailand, which I've never done, by the way, but sounds amazing, um, I plan to just go to the high points. I'm going to go to the floating market in Bangkok. I'm going to go visit all of the fancy temples. And I'm just going to have someone throw the best pad thai anyone could eat down my gullet, because that'd be great. Tourists don't have the time or space to do something slowly and thoroughly. And when you visit, what you're visiting is simply a distraction from your normal life that you're going to leave and go back to when you're done. Now, unfortunately, we can often bring a tourist mindset rather than a pilgrim mindset to our faith. We want the short and snappy. We want the well-packaged, four banging worship songs and feel-good message on a Sunday morning, and then peace out to the rest of the week where real life happens. Anything dull and plodding must be avoided at all costs, especially anything that smells like commitment. Writer and intellectual Gore Vidal defined this attitude as today's passion for the immediate and the casual. And in our Christian journeys, this passion for the immediate and the casual is a huge stumbling block for our formation in Jesus. After decades of pastoring, Eugene Peterson noticed that it is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Do you resonate with that? Like me with Spanish, it is not difficult to get me interested in the joys and benefits of what speaking Spanish would be. 
but it is incredibly difficult for me to sustain that interest long enough for me to actually put in the slow and steady time and effort required to learn Spanish. And this is what we face when we approach our faith as tourists instead of pilgrims. Peterson continues, millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly, but when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. But this is what we're called to. We are called to be pilgrims, not tourists. We are called to patiently and slowly make the long journey to sign up for a long apprenticeship to Jesus, not a quick stop in here or a religious experience there. Paul encourages us to stay the course, to be pilgrims in Philippians chapter 3. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those that you see running this same course, headed for this same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. But all they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. But easy street is a dead-end street. Being a pilgrim does not satisfy our worldly desire for the immediate and the casual. Being a pilgrim is not easy. It is not a sampling of the high points. But like Paul urges us, like the writers of the Psalms of Ascent encourage us, sticking with it is worth it. We are running this course, headed to a goal, and it is not a dead-end street. It is a street of life. Choosing to take on the identity of a pilgrim tells us that we are people who spend our lives going someplace, who are going to God, and whose path for getting there is Jesus Christ. And this is where the Psalm of Ascent can come in handy. So, for those who choose to live no longer as tourists but as pilgrims, the songs of ascent combine all the cheerfulness of a travel song with the practicality of a guidebook and a map. They help us in our patient acquisition of virtue. They help us to stay the course. They help us to become more and more like Jesus as we are changed into his glorious image. Okay, so if you guys are ready to be pilgrims instead of tourists, I have some tips for you. What can we learn from these ancient Jewish pilgrims who traveled to Jerusalem? First, we learn from pilgrims that the road is long. So, um, depending on where you were traveling from in ancient Palestine, the amount of time it took to get to Jerusalem varied. But let's consider from Nazareth, which is where Jesus was walking from for most of his life to travel to Jerusalem. Um, Nazareth, Nazareth is 90 miles away from Jerusalem, which Google Maps claims would take 30 hours to walk. So imagine you're walking 10 hours straight a day. Maybe you could make it in three days. But if you're walking at my speed, which is like a touch above Mosey, um, probably like six days, you know. But Jesus probably walked faster than I do. But even if you're a speedy walker, um, let's put in normal travel things like stopping to eat, your children throwing tantrums about who's touching who, drawing water from wells. Maybe you're like four to five days, but Google Maps is counting on paved roads. There were no paved roads back then. 
So all in all, the journey to Jerusalem probably took ancient Jews around a week to complete, which as someone who does not care for walking or for camping, it just sounds atrocious. Um, that sounds like a long road to me. The writer of Hebrews, though, encourages us, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. As pilgrims, we have to have endurance because the road is long. The way of Jesus is a lifetime commitment, and pursuing something for a long time can get tiring. Pilgrims know this, hence travel songs. There are no better songs for the road for those who travel the way of faith in Christ than the songs of ascent. Since many, not all, essential items in Christian discipleship are incorporated in these songs, they provide a way to remember who we are and where we are going. The songs of ascent encourage us on this long journey that we make in discipleship. They act as signposts along the journey, friendly road signs that say, yes, this is the way. Keep going. We've been here before. Someone has walked this before you, and you're right on track. We need these encouragements in our spiritual journey because as pilgrims, the road is long. And we need someone to say, stick with it, even when it seems dull or monotonous. Hebrews continues, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, and we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because the road is so long, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why are we still traveling and pilgrimaging after the blistered heels and the hot sun and just wanting to lay down and take a nap and go back to the easy life? because we want to get to Jesus. The way is too long to persevere without a goal, but our goal is Jesus. We stay on the road and we keep walking because at the end of the road is the lover of our souls, and he's really great. We run with an endurance, but not for no reason. I want you guys to imagine those airport scenes in movies before 9-11 when you could actually go up to the gate. And um, I want you guys to run to Jesus like a lover in the airport. You know, like you're going across the whole terminal, like dodging rolly bags, you know, and ignoring all the people's awkward stares, like, what's this crazy person doing? And then you jump in their arms because it is totally worth it to look like a fool and to run that hard for the lover of your soul. All right, so as pilgrims, we learn that the road is long, but we also learn that we don't travel the road alone. The Bible consistently talks about how there is this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, these fellow pilgrims who travel the road with us. The writer of Hebrews has more to say about this idea of pilgrimage. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. The road is long, as long as life lasts. In order to make certain that what you hope for will come true, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. We follow the example of the pilgrims who walk before us, and they tell us, oh, this is a tricky spot, tread carefully, or yep, this part is boring, but don't worry, it gets better over the next hill, or this stretch of the road is super scenic, make sure you camp out, take a couple pictures, enjoy it. The stories of the Bible are these stories of the people who've gone before us. They're all the pilgrims. They've learned the way to go, and we should learn from them. 
I remember going into labor for the first time with Roland, and I was so scared. Like, I feel like there's nothing scarier than barreling towards pain and knowing, like, there's nothing you can do to stop it. Because <laughs> um, I was planning, I'm going to do labor, I'm not going to have an epidural because I'm scared of needles and doctors. Um, but I wasn't sure, like, what is this going to be like? Like, how painful is it? Would I be equal to the rigors of such an intense journey as labor? And for me, it was super helpful to have a roadmap, to have these stories of people who'd been there before me, who could tell me, like, these are the stages, this is where you're going, so that when I'm in the middle of it, I'm not lost. There was this progression. So when the contractions started out at seven to 10 minutes apart and were bearable, when they jumped up to two to three minutes apart, I was like, ah, this is active labor. That's why it hurts so much, because I'm making progress. Or when it felt like my pelvis was splitting in two, I was like, ah, this is transition. Um, it hurts like this because the baby's head and body is literally rotating inside of my pelvis right now. I know, because of the roadmap, that this is the worst part but also it is the shortest part. I can do this. It will soon be the next stage. And I had all of these stories of the laboring mothers who had gone before me, who are a cloud of witnesses, who are like, yes, it hurts. It hurts so bad. This is hard, but this is normal. There will be an end. It will not last forever. And at the end is your baby in your arms. All of the stories of the Bible, but especially the Psalms, are like this. They are the examples of those who have pilgrimaged before us, who encourage us in our walk, who say, yes, this is hard, but this is normal. This is the way. You're on the right track. You can do this. I really like what novelist William Faulkner, he says. They are not monuments, but footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far. Well, a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. On the journey of faith, we don't travel the road alone. Millions of pilgrims have gone before us, and they encourage us to keep going, and they reassure us that our path is right. Philippians 3 says, I am not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything that God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Because the road is long, we fix our eyes on Jesus. But because we don't travel the road alone, be encouraged by other pilgrims. Read your Bible. There is no other book that is a better encouragement of people who've gone before you than the Bible. Be immersed in the Psalms, the stories of these other Jesus followers. And run the race with your fellow pilgrims. In case you don't know who those are, that's these people. Look to your right, look to your left. These are your fellow pilgrims on the journey. Like, when we fasted for Lent, um, it was hard. I like to eat. I did not like not eating. Um, but one of the things that helped me stick through it was, like, 
you guys doing it with me? When I was hungry at two o'clock in the afternoon, I was like, I know that Devin is hungry too. Or when I like barely make it, I was like, it's almost five. I'm like, I know Peyton's there with me. Like he also wants a snack. And in joy, we would break fast together and we would celebrate, yay, we did it. You know, give each other like high fives. It was encouraging to not do things alone. So lean into your fellow pilgrims. Read the Bible, those who've gone before you, and then do it with the people who are doing it with you right now. So we learn from pilgrims, the road is long. We learn that we don't travel the road alone. And lastly, we learn from pilgrims that we walk the road the way Jesus walked. Okay, so did you guys know that there's a way to run? Well, you guys are so smart. (laughs) My understanding of this is very hazy because, as I mentioned before, even walking is a speed that is too fast for me. Um, But apparently, you can learn how to run. Like, there's a way to run that leads to shin splints and messed up knees and, like, hating your life while you do it. But then there's this way to run that is apparently ergonomic and easy on your joints and makes running somehow easier. This sounds like a myth to me, but I've heard it is true. And you can learn this. Like whenever I see people who do things that they're really good at, I assume that, well, they must have just been naturally good at that. You know, like they have this special gene that makes them amazing at running. And there's perhaps a genetic component. But I think it's mostly an excuse for me to say, like, I could never do that. You know, like, I'm just not gifted that way. But you can learn to run. Like, that's crazy. And you can learn to do life the way that Jesus does it. Um, Jesus has already walked this road before us, and he shows us the way to walk it. First Peter says, this is the kind of life that you've been invited into, the kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. God is our master, our teacher, our example, and he doesn't leave us in the dark. This is the way, he says. It can be done. I have done it. This is how I did it. Now you do it. The way of walking the road is there to be learned if we want to. And as pilgrims, we don't simply acquire information about God while safe at home or on the sidelines, but we practically walk out our skills and faith on the road. In the Gospels, Jesus invites us to walk the road the way that he walks it. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And it is that simple, and it is that hard. If I want to follow Jesus on this road of faith, I have to give up my own way. My inclination to be lazy, my desire to shortcut things, my attraction to the immediate and the casual. I have to take up my cross. I have to actually do something, something that might be a little uncomfortable or unglamorous or just simply boring. And I have to do it daily, every day, day after day with my eyes fixed on Jesus. And when I do this, I am training in a new way of being and doing life. I am learning how to run well. And quietly, surreptitiously, I suddenly discover that I can speak Spanish, that I can run long and hard, that my heart and character and mind look like Jesus. We are on the long road. We are not on it alone. And we walk it the way that Jesus walked it.
So again, this is where the Psalms of Ascent can be helpful, because not only are they a testament to the faithfulness of those who have gone before us and show us how it can be done, but they show us how it was done. Isaiah says, come, let's climb God's mountain. Go to the house of God of Jacob. He'll show us the way he works so we can live at the way we're made. So this is what the whole summer is going to be, is we're going to learn how the pilgrims before us walked in the way of Jesus. So don't just come today. Come the whole summer so you get the whole map of where we're going. You get to see what this discipleship journey looks like from the people who've actually done it. Um, because we also learn from the pilgrims that even though this is a long road, even though it's hard sometimes, that it is totally worth it because a pilgrimage creates a life worth living. Friedrich Nietzsche says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. A pilgrimage is a long obedience in the same direction. The road is long, but it is headed to a good place, the arms of Jesus. And when we take this pilgrimage of faithfulness, we discover that we will have led a life worth living. It is easy to be a tourist. It is easy to not commit. It is easy to bop in and out, to only pursue the immediate and the casual. But that's not what results in a life worth living. Jesus tells us a parable about a farmer who scatters seed in different places. And in this parable, he shows us what can happen from a long obedience in the same direction. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a good harvest. These are the pilgrims. These last people typify the pilgrimage. They hear God's word, they cling to it, and patiently they wait with it. They know that the road is long, but with endurance they keep at it. They have this long obedience in the same direction. And Jesus points out that when we do that, we experience maturity. When we don't do that, we can never fully be formed. We can never actually grow into the image of Christ. And we sacrifice this huge harvest that awaits at the end. Eugene Peterson describes it this way. He says, topographically, Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. And so all who traveled there spent much of their time ascending, hence the Song of Ascents. But the ascent was not only literal, it was also a metaphor. The trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upward toward God, an existence that advanced from one level to another in developing maturity. These are the fruits of endurance and patience of a long obedience in the same direction. Because incredibly, when we walk the road the way Jesus walked it for a long time, you suddenly find yourself able to do things that you weren't able to do before. Can you imagine what it would be like where patience feels natural, not hard? Where believing the best about others is easy? 
where extending empathy and grace is just second nature, where bitterness doesn't take root in your heart and jealousy doesn't cloud your mind, where you are unselfconscious and you are secure in your belovedness, where you aren't ensnared by what other people might be thinking about you, where joy and gratitude are your default, where each day feels full and light. Jesus says that this is not just a dream, but this is possible, that this is the natural result of a long obedience in the same direction with him. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Like the deep ease and joy of a concert pianist playing what was once a difficult concerto, or like Michael Jordan just sinking baskets over and over like no big deal, or like Ryan speaking Spanish, all of the small steps along the journey of faith Jesus' way amounts to a way of holding life that is easy and light and joyful. So let's be pilgrims instead of tourists. As pilgrims, we are on the long road, we are not on it alone, and we walk it the way that Jesus walked it. And at the end of the pilgrimage is having lived a life worth living. It is to be free and light, to be deeply grounded and supremely joyful and in the arms of Jesus. Let's be pilgrims together, friends. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for all of the people who have faithfully followed you throughout millennia, God, for their stories that um, you have preserved for us to encourage us, um, to show us what the shape of this life is. And I just ask for um, endurance and patience for us um, as we accept the role of pilgrim instead of tourist, God. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, I ask for your grace and for your encouragement to us as we choose to do the long road, God, as we choose to faithfully follow you and to do life the way that you do it. Um, I ask that we can be an encouragement to each other on the road, God, um, that we can help spur each other on to look more and more like you. Thank you, God, for being so good and wonderful. Thank you for how you form us, um, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.